This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I'm kind of kicking around the idea of expert or becoming an expert, what it takes to become an expert. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Napa. Planning on attending Apex? Make sure to stop by the Napa Auto Care booth on the first floor for a meet and greet with the 2021 NHRA champion, Ron Caps. He'll be there on Tuesday, November 1st, between 10.30 and 11.30 a.m. So yeah, I've been thinking about this a while, you know, periodically get questions about how do you get good or how do you get better? How do you get to be an expert? Whatever that means. You know, I think just in general, increase your level. There's somewhat of a myth, maybe much better yet, is a misconception of this idea of doing something for 10,000 hours will result in your being an expert. And I think that's just grossly, grossly oversimplified and also very subjective. We're talking specifically about auto repair Uh, So a lot of examples I might present are well outside of auto repair, but I suppose we could create odd environments within auto repair. It would be odd, not how somebody would normally operate, but I think it proves the point. If you don't know the results of what you do, there's no way for you to improve. There's, There's no way to learn because you're not getting any feedback. And that's probably the, the first big thing is, learning from your mistakes, or when you can, learning from your successes. That's much more difficult. Uh, Even if we succeed in diagnosing or repairing the vehicle, there might be some mistakes along the way that we can learn from immediately or in retrospect. I'm thinking like, you know, you figured out what was wrong with the car, but on the drive home from work, you're just kind of replaying the uh, sequence of events, the process that you followed to arrive at your conclusion and you determine that you could have skipped a step or what you originally thought, what you know, whatever piece of data you were looking at, you thought it meant something that it ends up not really being correct. It didn't mean what you thought it meant. And you made a decision based off of that and you lucked out. You still uh, stayed on a decent path to find the issue, but I mean, that's basically a small failure in the process that you can learn from and move on. There's feedback in this properly repaired vehicle. If you're in the scenario where whatever you did, uh, be it diagnostics or a repair, and you did the repair but no test drive, uh, you never were allowed to hear feedback from the client or anyone above you, everything you did left, if nothing else, as a success. There's no way for you to improve. The big thing is to be allowed to fail. Of course, learning from those failures, those mistakes, be it they smaller, of course, the big mistakes we all learn from the most, right? We don't want to repeat those, uh, A, because usually someone from above is, uh, you know, higher up in the hierarchy at the repair shop is not going to be happy with you. And then also most of us take pretty good pride in our work, right? We don't want to make mistakes. We know they're inevitable, but we don't want to make them. So a bit of a dichotomy there. And and I think that leads into the type of environment where I think if we're talking really from a psychological standpoint, 
uh, I think the terms are like a valid environment. We're getting this feedback, but it, it has validity to it. The most common thing I've seen or read for a comparison is uh, playing games like roulette, where you can play this, you could play roulette for 20,000 hours if you wanted. You're never going to be an expert because the feedback you're going to get is invalid. It's too random. Uh, and that's certainly not most of our environments. So luckily, most of us are in, you know, at least for the definition of what we're talking about, very much work in a valid environment. The feedback we're getting is going to be good or bad and mean something and be not randomized for the most part. I suppose we can start throwing certain situations in there uh, with parts. You know, nowadays with parts, uh, they can be fairly randomized, unfortunately. But again, it's pretty easy to qualify that. Your process doesn't necessarily change. It's uh, the part we're using. So luckily, we're in a kind of a valid environment. We're get the feedback we're getting means something. And we're getting that feedback rather quickly. It's pretty rare that we don't find out about what we did for a long period of time. It's usually within, you know, our test drives, of course. A uh, client takes the vehicle, picks it up, and they're gone for a few days. And usually, depending on what we're talking about, difficult uh, issue to track down, they're letting us know. Uh, but now with the popularity of uh, reviews and the pushing for reviews, most of us have shop management systems or some sort of a supplemental system that is pushing for feedback, for reviews online, via social media, via our websites, via Google pages, stuff like that. We're pushing for the reviews. We're getting fairly quick feedback about what we did, the repair, the service experience, etc. Again, I think in kind of in the realm and the terminology of the study of learning and psychology, we're getting timely feedback. So now the hours accumulated with the feedback being valid and being fairly immediate, that now plays very strongly in just getting at-bats, if you will, or getting time or attempts at repairs, at analysis, growing that experience, expanding that experience in volume, the amount of times we get a chance to do this, that we're building up on our knowledge based off of the experience of either working a process, putting a process into place, seeing how the process is working or not working, modifying the process. And that process could be analytical. It could be mechanical, taking it apart, putting it back together. Did I need to take all this stuff apart? Did I need to drop the uh, entire engine transmission together? Or could I have found a better way? Or did I not? And I tried to sneak around and I would have been far better off. That becomes very, very important that the attempts, trials, not so much errors, like don't get me wrong, we're going to have errors, but I don't want to insinuate that these errors always have to be you know, catastrophic. You know, I did this timing chain job and when I was done, the chain exploded or it was out of time and it bent valves and not that it doesn't happen, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the contributor to becoming better and better. It's the small errors, those little things that we can tidy up here and there. The, uh, of course, advice from uh, another colleague talking about, hey, next time try this, next time try that. And 
adding that to your process or subtracting things from your process, modifying, thinking about your process. That's hours of study, even though it's not necessarily hands-on. I, I think it's something very important. It was brought up in an episode I did with Carm a while back about journaling on the Remarkable Results radio podcast. It was episode 648. And that was really the moral of that story was writing down almost like a diary, but really a journal, successes, failures, allowing you to analyze these things and thinking about your process. Again, are we trying to figure out a problem? Are we trying to figure out how something works? Just thinking it through, replaying it in our heads. How did this task go? Could I have done it faster? And the answer doesn't always have to be yes. Sometimes you're going to do something as fast as you're ever really going to be able to do it. I'm getting to be where I have done a few uh, adaptive cruise radar calibrations. And really the fastest I'm going to do them is about 20 minutes. That is really the fastest that's going to happen where I'm going to mark my spots, set up my target, navigate the menus. It's really the limit. If I do break that, if I get faster, it's more, in my mind, an outlier. Consistently, I'm going to be in that 20, 25-minute range, and you know that's not lollygagging around. I'm not dragging my feet. It's going in with purpose. I'm sure many people can do it much, much faster, but I don't know that I need to put forth a tremendous amount of effort to try to get those times down. Other things, though, maybe this last diag on a misfire, I went left when I should have went right. Maybe that left or right decision was more random than I give it credit to. Maybe there wasn't a clue or on my ride home and I'm thinking about it, I need to think about this clue that could have sent me right instead of left. That I think is a terrifically underestimated or overlooked trait of some of the best technicians out there. Again, it doesn't always have to be diagnostics. I'm pretty bad usually about that's my default because it's kind of my life, but it translates to everything we do, everything, regardless of area of expertise or area that you operate in the shop. Some of us don't do bumper to bumper repair work. Some have a kind of a niche area or a specialty area, and that's uh, where we focus and how we get better and better. And that lends us the ability to become very accurate, very efficient, very productive. Napa Auto Care was top rated in a national survey by consumers of car repair in the chains and independent repair shops category. Ratings were based on courtesy, timeliness, quality, price of repair, and percent of times the problem was fixed on the first visit. Napa Auto Care is the only banner program to make these ratings. Consumers are familiar with the Napa Auto Care brand, and you can benefit. Napa Auto Care has the largest network of independent professional shops in North America with over 17,000 locations. Your independent repair facility can join this network and be supported through Napa's national marketing with the already successful Know How for All campaign, which promotes auto care center-specific offerings. You get support to promote your local repair facility with targeted media and local markets and improving channels. Utilize a full calendar year of promotions with Napa Auto Care Sales Driver promotions that are 100% fully funded by Napa. This includes free email marketing, digital and print point-of-sale materials. Connect to their national presence by co-branding your locally known brand 
with the already nationally recognized Napa brand. Partner with Napa SmartSign to educate customers with engaging videos that tell the why behind a needed repair or service. You can access and edit digital menu boards, template builder tools, social media feeds, and integrations with other auto care program elements. Offer a credit solution to customers with Napa EasyPay consumer financing. Stay top of mind with your business's name embossed on the credit card. Have an online presence when consumers search for a local repair facility on Napa Online, which generates millions of views per month at no additional cost. If you are interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the Napa Know-How for All national marketing campaign, contact your salesperson or servicing Napa Auto Care parts store. Kind of the final big contributor to becoming an expert, and especially early on, is pushing yourself, meaning biting off more than you can chew or operating kind of at your limit. It becomes difficult because I think we all accept that. We, we kind of know that to be true. And yet there's difficulty with that and working in a business that needs to make money that we're going to be able to regularly allow people to kind of operate on that edge because we have reputations at, you know, at stake. We have productivity that has to happen. That's just the reality. Where I think this comes into play isn't always at work. Really, this is where the training component comes in, the networking, the perusing professional forums, professional uh, social media pages, and almost living vicariously through others, if you will, at least professionally speaking. That's what's going to push our limits. Not that we shouldn't have our limits pushed at work. It's a little hard to ask consistently to always be pushed to your limit. It might be fun and all, uh, or very, very frustrating, but it's not super realistic. We have to look for these situations. Uh, we have to look for these opportunities to kind of get pushed to our limits by training classes or working on a group of colleagues, whether it's all within the shop or surrounding shops or groups of friends you've developed through networking by going to training events that you have the get togethers where there, maybe there's a problem car or a bugged car or something that you guys can work together to either, you know, again, I've defaulted to diagnosis, but that is where you're going to have the best chance to really push your limits and be around people that are getting pushed to their limits. It's not only just the get-togethers and the groups and going to the training classes and all that, but as you befriend people, hopefully you have a rapport and kind of discuss like, hey, I had this car today. I did this. It ended up being this is what was wrong with it. This is how I arrived at the conclusion. Did this test. I did this. I looked at that. Uh, You know, email them or message them screenshots, whatever. And you can banter about it and talk about it and they can help point out things. Again, different perspectives. You probably feel like you get hit over the head with this networking stuff, but it's really, really important because offhand, I can't think of anybody I know that is super, super adept at what they do, specifically in auto repair. And even as I think outside of auto repair, those that are lone, lone wolves are very solo in what they do. There's usually somebody else in the picture or somebody's in the picture that help even if it's just to 
bounce ideas off of. And I'm not even talking about specifically when this vehicle is kicking your tail. I'm also talking almost primarily about after the fact. I fought it. I got it. You know, I could not get this car in time. Every time I set it up, everything looked like it lined up perfectly. I rotated the engine three, four times. Every time it's off. Finally, I did this. And this person that you're talking to may have a good piece of advice on how to avoid that. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I've run into this before. Next time, try this. And then when they tell you, if it's like most things, you feel like you should have known because it makes perfect sense. And then it's, why didn't I think of that? Look at the greatest of the greatest athletes. There's always a coach involved. The greatest of the greatest chess players. There's a coach involved. The coach may be alpha zero, but there's something that can provide feedback and advice and let you look at things from a slightly different perspective uh, or explain it more thoroughly allowing you to grow and grow and grow and expand the knowledge, expand the skill sets. And then as you become more competent or comfortable, productive doing things, it translates to at work. To really wrap this up, becoming an expert in something is just not cut and dried. It's a journey. There's like tumblers in a lock that fall into place. A lot of the people that we know that are experts certainly weren't born that way. They didn't just show up in the shop and away they went. Uh, a lot of them, if you listen to their stories, their backgrounds are what allowed them to come in and quickly show a lot of skill and ability, be it they grew up around a shop or grew up in a very mechanical environment uh, or a, an environment where they had a lot of critical thinking required of them, even if they didn't really know that was the case. And then being allowed to work in a shop uh, or a facility that really did allow them to stumble and fall a lot. I just did an episode of Wrenchway with Pedro De La Torre. We were talking kind of about the EEPROM stuff, EEPROM world, and his solution for his Subaru Cam Learned Values. Uh, which that class is coming up this month, October on the 27th. If you haven't signed up, I strongly urge you to do so. Go on Facebook, search for Pedro, and uh, sign up for his webinar. He also worked in a shop that allowed him to fail early on, right fresh out of college. I very much was in the same situation. Nobody else in the shop wanted to deal with figuring out what was wrong with the car. Electrical, electronics, drivability, they had no interest in it. It's all I wanted to do, but I sucked at it. I sucked at it for a long time. Some people would argue I still suck at it. I would be one of those people. The reality is, is given a lot of chances, given that room to grow. And I think that was the the reason that we were allowed to do that. And I cannot speak for Pedro or Pedro's employer, but I would almost have to believe that watching, they would see the evolution. We're not making the same mistakes twice, that we're getting better. We're showing improvement. Maybe some days it's leaps and bounds, and then maybe some days they're like, yeah, maybe we better put them back on the loop rack. And so as technicians, depending on where we're at in our careers, it's going to be difficult to get that ability. Uh, So shop owners and managers, at some point, we're going to have to let people 
try and fail, especially if we're looking at them to expand their skill sets, to get better, to learn how to not just be an expert in their lane, but start to move into other lanes. As technicians, we have to acknowledge that we still have to produce. That's what pays the bills. It's just the way it is. We may not always be able to get those chances to succeed and fail outside of our lanes, but showing interest in other lanes and taking time outside of work uh, or arranging training events, going to training events, and hopefully the shop's helping out with that, forging friendships and uh, creating that group that you can interact with both at events and at work after work. You know, you're going to lunch. I got this car. What do you think? This is what I'm going to do. You're not even looking for bullets. You're looking for what do you think of my angle of attack on this? So again, networking, networking, networking. It's that important. It gets brought up all the time for a reason. And it gets brought up not just by me, by many, many others out there for a reason. It's just that important. And then to become an expert. And maybe it'll be 10,000 hours for you. Maybe it'll be 5,000 hours for someone else. And maybe it'll be 20,000 hours for another. But the reality is, is the time itself is uh, less important than the environment of which that time is put in. I hope you uh, enjoyed this. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And as you can probably tell, I'm still thinking about it. I think there's some pillars there that have to be acknowledged about the environment you're working in and getting that feedback and what you do with that feedback is important. That's kind of on you. Once again, if you have ideas for topics, if you want to be on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm very easy to get a hold of via social media. You can email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. Really would like to thank Napa for sponsoring. Thanks to, to Carm and the Aftermarket Radio Network for really making this all possible and giving me, giving me this platform. Got to thank Tracy for editing my stuff and making it sound a lot more smooth than it really is. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.